In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea. And we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Today's about story, about our story, about the Apostle Paul's story, about the gospel story, which is our story. And I have this book, I haven't read all of it, I've read much of it. It's called The Stories We Tell by... Mike Cosper, really good. His main point is, is not what we're getting after today, but he does talk about how we see in the stories that the world tells the story that God tells, the redemption story. And so he looks at a lot of books and, and movies, and he, he talks about how the redemption story is at work. And the reason we love the stories we love is because they echo Uh, the story of the gospel. And he says this, he says, it's often said that we tell stories to know who we are, to understand ourselves and our place in the world. The way we understand our lives, our relationships, our past and future is all tied up in story. Your past is not only a set of facts when when you talk about it. It's also a story that you tell, a a timeline. I, I was born here and I grew up here and experiences along the way. I I was married there. We had our children then and we watched them grow up. We look at the future this way too. Your future too is a story. It isn't built upon memory. It's a story of anticipation, longing, hopes and fears about the future that seem imminent and likely. You say things like, I'll go here one day. I'll do this one day. I'll try that One day we understand our lives in story. Stories capture us. Stories shape the way we, what we believe, what we want, how we respond in the circumstances and situations of this life. Because every good story points to a good God and points to the realities of the gospel. And that's why at our last member meeting we kind of passed the mic around and gave you guys an opportunity, right? Like if you've ever been to an old back, backwoods Baptist church, you've, you've been experienced you know, a time where they say any testimonies, people stand up and share what God is doing in their lives. I'm not going to do that here today, but we will do that again at our next member meeting. Some of you are like, well, I'll miss it then. I'm sorry, I can't be there. <laughs> not everyone has to do that, but the opportunity is for us as the people of God to share the gospel story through our stories, what God is doing in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul knew the power of story. So when he was writing to the churches of Galatia to convince them of the gospel's reality and the gospel's accuracy, he's going to share his own story. And here's why. Where God saved us from where God saved us to, and how he did it. Every part of that story testifies to the authenticity of the gospel message. We're going to see that today in Paul's life. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Before Paul tells his story, he wants to tell us why he's going to tell it. He kind of has an introductory statement here. This is why he's about to tell us his story. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, sisters, the people of the churches of Galatia, that the gospel that was preached by me when he did his first missionary journey through the churches of Galatia, the gospel that he preached to them is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's story will testify to the authenticity of the gospel. That's why he's telling his story. And the gospel story is not a man-made story. It comes from God and God alone. And it's a legitimate story. It's worth uh, clinging to and living for and giving your life over to because it is a true story, not only by way of intellectual reasoning, not only historically, although there is plenty of apologetic proof in the areas of reasoning and historical proof in the, in the timeline of events as to why the gospel is legit. But it's also proved true by actual experience, by the actual living of the realities. And so Paul's going to describe in the following verses where he was before he met Jesus, where Jesus took him to. Then he's going to talk about how Jesus did it, how God did it. And then he's going to celebrate the results. And so we have an opportunity to gaze into his story today while also thinking about our stories. And in that, we get to rejoice in what God does to save for himself people. We can celebrate Paul's stories, story, and we can rejoice in our stories, which is God's story. He starts with where he was. Look at where Paul was. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. To bring it down. That Greek word is one for just undermining and, and bombarding and, and just absolutely demolishing something. He tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, his, his religious practice beyond many my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father, fathers. He tells us three kind of themes of his life before Jesus. One, he was a persecutor of the church. Paul was infamous for this, by the way. This was no secret. For hating the way of Jesus and hating every single person who walked in the way of Jesus. He testifies to it himself, where it is testified about him in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. He'll be honest about it later as he shares his own story and affirm what Luke says in the book of Acts. The, the, one of the first times we see Saul, who was also known as Paul, is when Stephen, who was preaching the gospel, one of the earliest, most influential preachers of the Christian church, is being stoned to death. And as he is, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He ran the coat check while they killed Stephen. Not only that, but if you go on just a few verses to chapter 8, it says, And Saul approved 
of his execution. He signed off on it. The death of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, also known as Paul, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was a persecutor of Christians. But that was rooted somewhere. That was rooted in his religiosity. That was rooted in his practice. He he wasn't just a persecutor of Christians. He was a believer in the proper Jewish way of living. He describes himself, he says, uh, in as he speaks before the Jewish people in Jerusalem towards the end of the book of Acts, he says, I am a Jew. He's on trial. Born in in Tarshish in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. Most of his life had been spent there, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, Gamaliel. We can say it however we want, because we don't speak Hebrew. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. This man that he studied under was the best. He was revered within the Jewish community. He was on the Sanhedrin, the the leadership of of the Jews. And he stood out, highly honored, leader on the Sanhedrin. And Paul, also known as Saul, was one of his best and brightest students. As he said in, in, in Galatians there, we just read, he was advancing beyond many his own age. So he was there practicing, walking in his religious beliefs. Beneath that was a passion for family traditions. Saul, in Paul, in Romans 11.1, 1, says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. He's talking about this idea, and we'll come back to this later actually in the book of Galatians, that there are Gentiles now in droves receiving Christ and entering into the kingdom while many Jews are rejecting it. He says, is this God, has God rejected his people entirely? And his point is no, because he's he's chosen me, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's interesting, by the way, because his name is Saul, and King Saul, the first king of Israel, was also from the tribe of Benjamin. And so he inherits not only that name, but that legacy, right? So he is sold out to his lineage. He is sold out to the religion of his fathers, and that leads him to be a persecutor of the, of the church in his, in his heart, his levav. If you were here with us way back when we talked about the Shema, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That word for heart is the core epicenter of who we are, our intellectual, emotional, physical core and center. That was dedicated to those things. And that led him to be a persecutor of the church. That's where the story began. For him, he was so passionately moving in one direction that he stood in complete opposition to Jesus. That's where he was. That's where we were, too. Less dramatically, probably, for all of us. But that's where we were, remember? Do you remember before Jesus? For some of you, you may have to go back to childhood, and it may be hard to form those memories, maybe back to your teen years, maybe your early adulthood. I don't know when... 
you met Jesus for the first time, but remember where you were before Jesus. Paul's story may be more dramatic than some of us, but all of us were far from God. That's where Paul was. But now we see where he is. The middle part of verse 16 says that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is his new identity. He has gone from being someone who was zealous for his own tribe and his own ethnicity to someone who is going to preach the gospel across borders and across ethnic divisions. Polar opposite of who he was before. He's going to go from extinguishing the way of Jesus to preaching the way of Jesus. Polar opposite. He's going to go from not seeing Jesus for who he is to at the risk of his own life, striving for all of his days to help others see who Jesus truly was. Do you know that you see Jesus, those of you who are Christians, for who he truly was because of this man's radical transformation by the grace of God? His life is still impacting others to see the realities of who Jesus was, but he was once a man who tried to extinguish the way of Jesus, who was blinded to who Jesus was. It's nothing short of miraculous when you look at where he was to, to where he is. But I want to touch on something here, especially in a place like Appalachia, where so many of us have been brought up in church and <coughs> stories feel less dramatic, right? than Paul's. Many of us, now some of us have dramatic stories of, of redemption, where God saved us from things that are, were horrendous and horrific. Many of us, maybe we were brought up going to church. We can't necessarily remember a time when we were like strung out or, or hating God or any of that sort of thing. May I say this to you? Maybe you were saved young like me, but hear me. Justification is a milestone, right? It is an event that happens. You are made right before God. You are justified in Him. But sanctification is a lifetime. Being transformed into the image of Jesus, into Christ-likeness, goes on and on and on throughout our lives. And neither one is more miraculous than the other. It is just as beautiful that God saved you as it is that He keeps saving you. He keeps transforming you more and more into the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul talks about this. He says, we all, that's the children of God with unveiled faces, our eyes have been opened, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image We're being made to be like God. His likeness, His behaviors, the things that He loves, the things that He desires. But it's a process from one degree of glory to another. It doesn't happen like that overnight for us. That's a lot. More than normal. But anyway... From one glory to another. It's a process over time, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what I want you to to see today, and, and Paul will come back to this in Romans, that sanctification is hard work. 
in his life, he'll describe how there's things he wants to do, but he doesn't do. And there's things he doesn't want to do, but he still does. And my point is that God is still miraculously transforming you today. And it was the truth for Paul, too. His justification story, his story of his salvation was super dramatic. But his sanctification is very similar to ours. From glory to glory, being transformed into the likeness of God. So don't just think about where you were before God saved you. Think about every step along the way. How God has continued to transform you. That is miraculous. So God saved us all from somewhere, and He is still saving us and taking us somewhere. But how? How did God do it? Well, first of all, He did it by His initiative. Paul's going to kind of share four ways that He, that he did it. He says in Galatians 1.15, But when He who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me, in order that I might preach him to the Gentiles. He was set apart by God. Note this, by the way. When he talks about who he was before he met Jesus, he uses the word I a lot. I persecuted my own people. I was advancing my people. I was passionate for the passions of my, or the traditions of my fathers. But when he talks about life after Jesus, he gives the credit to Jesus. He who set me apart by His grace to reveal His Son in order that I might preach Him. God initiated the work. It was by His power, by His strength. Which is the second point He makes. Not only did God initiate it, but He did it by His power. And the way He testifies to it being His power is by saying that it wasn't man's power. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He's making a point here that's actually one of the most unique points he's going to make in comparison to our redemption story. His story differs from ours here in the fact that he did not have a man proclaim the gospel to him. A woman proclaimed the gospel to him. He did not open up a Gideon Bible from a drawer in a hotel room and read about Jesus and have uh, and meet Christ that way. He didn't hear about him from anyone or read about it from anyone except for Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. So when he's talking here, he's describing something that's unique to him. What happens is he's saved on the road to Damascus, and then he gets up blind, remember? And he's led away onto the city of Damascus, and there the scales will fall off his eyes. And, he, and then he says, I take three years. Paul says, know the timeline. I took three years that I spent in this region around Damascus, this Arabia region. And then eventually I returned to Damascus. But we're talking one to five years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the point he's making is there was no gospel presence there. None of the apostles were in Damascus or in that area. There were no great teachers of the faith there in the region of Damascus. The Christianity had spread that far, obviously, because he was going to, to take Christians into captivity. But there was not a center, a hub of Christianity there. 
and certainly none of the apostles were there. But yet, while he is there, God reveals to him the truths of the gospel and the truths about Jesus. That matters apostolically. As he, as he defends his apostolic authority, that matters deeply that it wasn't from man, that it came from God. But regardless, right? His story has to have that unique part to defend his apostolic authority, but that doesn't mean our stories are absent the power of God. Not only did God initiate, but it was by his power that he revealed to us the truth of the gospel. No matter who spoke it to you, no matter who explained it to you, it came from God. And not only that, it's according to his timeline. Then after three years, he starts out. Verse 18. He's there for three years. Think about the implications. What if his ministry would have skyrocketed, right? Like in the, if he'd had social media, he probably would have, you know, posted a blind Instagram picture. Can't see, bright light, you know. Met Jesus. Hashtag blessed, right? And then he gets to Damascus and the scales fall off. Maybe he like does a creative little like, TikTok of the scales falling off his eyes and, and then he just explodes in ministry. God had a different plan. Three years, right? And think about this, and you have to, if you're being honest about the text. God waited to save Paul while Christians were being killed as a result of Paul. God waited to launch Paul's ministry while countless people were still in need of hearing the gospel. And I don't know why. I can't answer the question of why, but here's what I do know. God's timing is perfect. I know it because he claims it. And if God says it is true, he says in Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, every single one, nothing excluded. Psalm 1830, this God, his way is he knows the timeline, and his ways are perfect. And so, that's a hard thing if you're in a place of doubt, or darkness, or struggle. That's a hard thing if there's someone in your life who you're waiting to believe the truth of the gospel, and they haven't, and you're asking yourself, when? God's timeline is perfect. And then lastly, we see that he saves through his people. He says, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. There's a primary point he's making here, but first, can you imagine the conversations that they had? This guy they've never met, ever. They've heard about him. They were scared to death of him. Is now telling them things about Jesus that he could not have possibly known. They've never met him. None of the other apostles have ever met him. They've never sat with him and taught him and educated him. And here he talks about the realities of Jesus as only they understand. It had to be beautiful. I imagine Peter had some compassion for Paul. He denied Jesus too, three times. He knew what it was like to, to stand in opposition to Jesus. He'd done it. 
When he talked about scales falling off of his eyes and his sight returning, they weren't surprised. They'd seen Jesus do that multiple times. I like to imagine that when Paul got to the part of the story where he he talks about Jesus speaking out of the light, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That like kind of harsh language that Peter probably laughed a little bit. And maybe James said, yeah, that sure sounds a lot like my brother. Imagine that. Those 15 days together, as the people of God affirmed in Paul what God had already revealed to him. Your story is the same. God has revealed things to you and through uh, the teachings of the church and community of believers, God affirms those things as, as true. Paul's going to stand arm in arm with these folks and toe-to-toe with these folks and then again arm in arm with these folks and countless other saints through the years. He's going to watch some of them die. He's going to watch others of them be persecuted. These are his family. His brothers. Redemption stories are not stories of individualism. They're family stories. God uses his people in our redemption stories. Who are the people in your story? Take time to remember that. You guys are in my story. This part of it. And I'm so thankful that that's true. God uses his people as he saves his people. Here's the bottom line. God saves Paul and all his people by his initiative, through his power, and in accordance with his timeline. And his people, the church, are always a part of our stories of redemption. And that's beautiful. That's our story. That's Paul's story. God takes him from where he was to where he is and promises to take him even further into Christ's likeness and eventually glorification perfect in the presence of God one day is all of our futures. And who gets the glory for all this? God does. He says that he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and then he says, but I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and watch what happens. They glorified God because of me. Our stories of redemption are for God's glory. The saints in Jerusalem for the longest time would not have known who Paul was if they'd have seen him right in front of their face. But they knew his story. And they knew whose fingerprints were all over his story. God and God alone. I want to read a story about a North African man. There once was a man uh, from North Africa, present day Algeria to be exact. He was born in 354 AD. By his 20s, he'd moved to Carthage, which is present day Tunisia. And there he became a teacher of rhetoric and pagan philosophies. Three centuries after Jesus had lived and breathed and died and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he didn't give a rip about it. He was following after pagan philosophies, and not only that, he wanted to teach it to others. He was a self-centered man, 
By his own testament and other people's testament, he, he used others only to get what he wanted for himself. And his reputation from that time was that he was a deceiver who himself was deceived. And he would take that deception and, and spread it to others for his own gain. He would one day say of his own life that everywhere he looked, he saw death. His life was a horror to, him, to his own self. But eventually he started a career in writing and he moved to Rome. And there he sat under the teaching of St. Ambrose of Milan. And in that moment he began wrestling with the ideas of faith and pagan philosophy and self-centered desires. And, and he wrestled. He wanted to know the truth. And that desire to know the truth grew and grew inside of him, but all the while he kept trying to silence it. The teachings of St. Ambrose echoed around inside of his head, but he, he put his, himself to sensuality and promiscuity and, and drunkenness to, to numb himself. And it was in that place, that way of living, that one day he was so caught up with the battle within that he heads into a nearby courtyard, his heart raging, filled with fear and anxiety. And there in that courtyard, he struggles with God as his torment and, and soul sickness reaches its highest point ever, and suddenly he throws himself to the ground and, and begins to weep. Tears pour down his face. They've been flooding his heart for months. And he cries out, to God in despair, asking, How long, O Lord? How long? And as he was saying these things and weeping, no lie, he hears the voice of a child coming from the neighboring house chanting, For a reason he does not know, pick up, read it, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. And he darts to find the scriptures. And there he opens up to Romans chapter 13 and he begins to read and he says later, after a while, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to, for instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty. For all the gloom of doubt vanished away. That man was Aurelius Augustus, or St. Augustine. And his story has touched countless lives since then. And the Apostle Paul's story has touched countless more. God's used both of their stories, but they're not alone. Not by a long shot. Your story's the same. My story's the same. The details are different. The circumstances of your story are unique from theirs. The situations are unique from theirs, but the truth remains sinners saved by grace. So what I want us to take away today is this. Where God saved us from, where God saved us to, and how he did it, every part of that story testifies to the authenticity of the gospel message. So tell the story to yourself and to anybody else who will listen. I want to close with a few points. How do we share our story of redemption? Three things. One, this might sound funny, but share it warts and all. Be authentic about your story. Paul was. I mean, 
seriously. You talk about someone who should have been so deeply ashamed, but he says that in his weakness, God's strength was perfected. Share your story, warts and all. Your pre-Jesus warts and the warts that you still carry along the way. We don't need any more plastic people in the church. We don't need any more whitewashed tombs or pretenders in the pews or in the pulpits of our churches. We need people who can be authentic about where they were before Jesus. We need people who can be authentic about where they are now as Jesus continues to do a work in them. Now be careful, this isn't a whose sin is greater competition, like, oh, i got to kind of make my story sound so, like, you know, contrasty, so I'm going to kind of embellish the details. This isn't a uh, Christian liberty thing, like we have liberty now to sin and, and do whatever we want because of grace. That's not what this is. But authenticity matters. Model it. And don't only model it, but don't retract from it when you experience it. When someone is authentic with you, don't gasp and pull back. A few weeks back, we had dinner with a couple. They shared some things with us, some painful things that had just happened in their life. Very intimate things. Hard things. Things I didn't have any answers for. Things I didn't have any wise things to say in response to. Things that made me uncomfortable. But we listened some gospel truth, that was it. But at the end, and this is only by God's grace, they looked me and my wife and said, thank you for listening and not trying to change the subject. When someone is authentic with you about what God is doing in their life, don't retract from it, no matter how brutal or painful it may appear. Share it warts and all, share it with Jesus as the hero. You are not where you were and you're no longer what you were because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is. He is the hero of the story. And so it goes almost without saying, but we'll be explicit anyway because we need reminded of this because we're self-centered people who try to live for our own glory. Share your story for the glory of God. It's not your story. It's your part in His story. It's a gospel story and He gets... He gets the glory. So that's how we share it. Who do we share it with? Share your part of the gospel story with yourself. That may sound weird, but there's uh, a lingo going around that says, like, preach the gospel to yourself. You have to be reminded of the realities of the gospel. And the person you listen to the most is yourself. Nobody talks to you more than yourself. So tell yourself your story. Remind yourself. Get up to blimp view. And remind yourself of where you were and where God has taken you. Share your story with the church. We were at a funeral yesterday. And it was actually beautiful. Because they took person after person stood and testified to the beauty of Christ in the life of this person who had passed on as they shared her story. Details about how she lived and how she thought and how she spoke. And they didn't wait for her to die to talk about her that way, to share her story. Oftentimes we do. 
Let's share them today. Let's share our stories with one another about what God is doing in our lives. And of course, share them with your neighbor. Share the gospel with others and use your story to do it. Listen, there's all kinds of reasons to be afraid of, to share the gospel. It might be awkward. You, you, I'm not saying they're good reasons, but they make more sense. Oh, what if the relationship is severed? There's all these things that you already have to worry about, but you don't need to worry about the complexity of the message. The message is not complex. Just share your story, warts and all, with Jesus as the hero for the glory of God. Where God saved us from, where God saved us to, and how he did it, every part of that story testifies to the authenticity of the gospel message. So tell the story to yourself and to anybody who will listen. And if that's not your story, it can be today. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, his finished work on the cross for you and me, and be saved, be forgiven of your sins. Trust Jesus today, and this can be your story. Augustine would later say this. When he first heard the preaching of St. Ambrose, he says, I had found the priceless pearl. And I ought to have sold all that I had and bought it, yet I hesitated. May that not be true of you today. If you're not a Christian, you have been presented the pearl of greatest price. Priceless pearl, Jesus. Trust him today. Be saved. Father, thank you so much that you love us. You gave your son to die for us, and you have given us stories that give authenticity to the realities of the gospel. May we share those stories with ourselves, with the church, and with our neighbor. All for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.